This Wellness Coach Podcast is brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that unfortunately is quite common for any of the mums and dads even listening out there and that's postnatal depression. It's why I brought on today's guest, Brooke Batchelor, who is not only a registered paediatric nurse, so knows a lot about working shift work. Um, but is someone who has experienced postnatal depression herself firsthand. So she's going to be sharing her own uh, story and how she used nutrition amongst other things to help to uh, manage and overcome it. Along with being a paediatric nurse, Brooke is also a qualified primary teacher and children's advocate. She founded the Paediatric Nurse, uh, which is a website in 2015, before developing it into an online continuing professional development website uh, that we see today for paediatric nurses uh, in August last year. She's passionate about giving children a voice in healthcare and works tirelessly towards encouraging others to further develop their child and family-centred care approaches. Brooke has a keen interest in holistic healthcare and the use of complementary therapies and looks forward to a healthcare system that integrates these various modalities, which I'd have to agree with her on that one as well. So to talk all things postnatal depression and nutrition, I'd like to give a warm welcome to Brooke. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to have you all the way up from uh, all the way up there in Townsville. Yes, <laughs> so up here where it's always hot. Yeah, very, very hot and wet of late. Yes, very wet. Definitely <laughs> very, very hot and wet and wet at late. But hopefully, the as we kind of head towards autumn and winter, things will settle down a little bit. Um, yeah, for you yep. guys. Yeah, but look, we um, Brooke, we met through LinkedIn, and I have to say, it's times like this when I really do love social media and how it kind of allows us. <laughs> to connect and meet up with people that we wouldn't ordinarily do. So I really appreciate you kind of taking the time out to talk to me today, particularly on this topic, um, because I think uh, it's really not spoken enough about. Would you agree? Absolutely. I don't think that um, there's enough um, people being, um, it's not necessarily honest, but they're, they're nervous about coming out and saying, I'm struggling because mm. we see so many happy family pictures on social media and we wonder what's wrong with me, why don't I feel like that? And um, I don't want people to think I'm a bad mum is probably the worst thing and the um, or the worst feeling and the reason why I feel a lot of people don't talk about it. So, yeah. Mm, kind of, yeah, definitely social media just can give that one-sided approach, that's for sure. But it's also kind of almost like wearing a mask, isn't it, which is exhausting. Mm, yeah. Yeah, very exhausting. Um, yeah, I guess you're just trying – you're hoping that you can um, be the be the best mother and if you're feeling like this, you're not coming across as the best mother and it's something you'd rather hide. It's not something that you want to own up to, mm. um, you know. And chances are, you are being the best mother <laughs> that you can be, and um, and that's good enough. So definitely, definitely, yeah. you don't. They don't come with an instruction book, do they? When when kids no. get born, so you do always going to do the best um, that you possibly can. But I guess to get yeah. us um, started. Um, Brooke, I'd really love to hear a little more uh, about your story, like how you became a nurse, uh, your yep. shift working background, what happened when you had kids, yeah, all that sort of thing. Mm. Well, it's actually funny, a funny story because I left school and decided I was going to do biomedical science and then go on and become a doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm really glad it didn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I... I started biomedical science and 
because I always loved science at school and I really enjoyed it. However, as the year went on, I thought, you know what, I want to spend more time with people. And if I decide at the end of this degree that I don't want to study anymore, then I'm stuck with a career that leaves me in a lab not talking to people. (laughs) So Mm. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go and do nursing because I get to care for people and talk to them and, you know, just be around people all day. But I also get the science. So I applied uh, to transfer across and um, just before I put my application in, um, I realise now this was quite bold of me, but I called a meeting with the Dean of Nursing <laughs> to discuss with her um, what the career was like to work as a nurse and was it everything I thought it would be and what can I do as a nurse that's not shift work because I hate shift work. <laughs> <laughs> Had you started shift work at that point or were you still studying? Um, at that point, no. Okay. So, but I didn't like the idea of, like, oh, I love my sleep, so I didn't like the idea of being <laughs> up all night. So we all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I put that to her and I remember her face. She was just shocked and I couldn't work out, like, well, why was she a bit weird about this? And then I, I realised now, like, she's the dean of the university. That's You don't call meetings with the dean to, <laughs> to discuss your career prospects. um but anyway so I I I got my answer and she pretty much said well nursing is shift work so you know so anyway I went away and I don't know why I decided to apply in the end but I did and I got in and um I guess the rest is history with that but um I always had a love-hate relationship with it I hated the shift work um in the first couple of years of uni I found it quite easy and it was probably because a lot of it was the basics of the science basics that I'd covered in biomedical science, Mm. yeah. Um, But that gave me an opportunity to focus more on my placements, on getting to know the patients, so I really got that side that I enjoyed. Um, Yeah, so that's how I became a nurse. And I I guess I didn't really know if that was what I was going to do forever. I had a really big interest in languages and I uh, was a singer and I wanted to be a a singer or an actress and so I thought well that's why I chose it actually because shift work was going to work around that mm. so that's why I overlooked the shift work Got side it. of things yeah yeah because I thought well I could go to auditions and and still earn money um while I'm making it big as an actress <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love a dream we got a dream yeah. always got a dream <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I think I think um, there were different plans for me in the end because I did finish and I just got swept up in um, so much to learn in nursing. What you think you know everything, and then there's so much you don't know, and you're always um, finding new things that you need to research and learn about. So it was just one of those things that really um, I stuck with it in the end because it's all it's. I have an insatiable appetite for education and learning Mm. and Mm. nursing does that for me. So, Mm. yeah. That's great. And and there is that saying, isn't it, the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know or the more you know, the more you realise you don't know, something along that lines. Yes. It's forever, isn't it? There's um, always going down the rabbit hole a little bit. So, yeah. Very good, very good. Well, you do realise, uh, though, obviously since mu- having, you know, becoming a mum, that mums and dads, I suppose, really, both of you, are yeah. non-paid shift workers. Yes, <laughs> I do realise that now. <laughs> Maybe that's why I struggled in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, which which makes, you know, the those that work shift work and parents out there like pe- people that deserve the Oscars and the Grammys and all that kind of stuff it's it's an incredible achievement and and what and obviously it's not easy um yeah which is which I guess leads me kind of on to that next question is is when you were obviously you had your your children whether I don't know it was the first or after the second one but when you're first diagnosed with postnatal depression Brooke like what kind of like what happened and what kind of treatment sort of were you prescribed and and did it help 
Well, I actually had it with both children. So I okay. I was one of those really lucky mums who had it back to back. So it was nonstop for four to five years. Wow. But um, the first one, I was actually living in Papua New Guinea and I was a um, expat wife. So my husband was the um, income earner. Yep. And so I was on a visa where I couldn't work. So I was in a compound. Mm. Um, I found out I was pregnant two days after arriving. Um, and I had all these dreams of using my nursing and volunteering and helping AusAid and going out to the Highlands and um, doing clinics. Um, and after two days being there, I found out I was pregnant. And I was, on the one hand, I was really excited. But on the other hand, I was like, well, there goes my plans while I'm here because I can't travel around because I can't take anti-malarial medication. Mm. And I also, when the baby's born, I don't really want to risk the baby then getting sick. Yeah. So um, so in a way there was this, it was bittersweet. I was really excited because I, I wanted to be a mum. And then, and it was something that we were planning, but as soon as we arrived on that first day, we then decided, oh, maybe we should wait. Because, oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I was already pregnant. <laughs> Unknowingly at the time, yeah, with that conversation, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I was happy because it was what I wanted, but then I was really um, disappointed at the same time because I really wanted to do all of those things. And I remember having a couple of like uh, one particular day. I was actually I actually left the country to visit my sister who lived in LA at the time. And I remember just crying and saying, I'm so happy I'm having a baby, but at the same time, it's not the best time. And I thought it was when we started trying, but now I realise it. Um, well, not now because it was still a good time to have a baby, but at the same time my focus was elsewhere mm. um, because I, I still I look back now and I think, no, it was a great time to have a baby. <laughs> like. Um, you know, I lived in a compound and I had a house Mary who did my washing and cleaned my house. Um, so it was a great time to become a mum and focus on my baby. Mm. Um, but when I, so within, uh, so I stayed in Australia for six weeks after the baby was born so that I could get her immunised um, before we let, went back. And um, when I got back, um, I started to notice that I was quite flat. Um, but I had been quite, um, quite an angry person while I was pregnant. And so when now on, in hindsight, and my husband has been saying this the whole time was I'm not a nice person when I'm pregnant. So I do believe hormones play a big role in my mood for me. Um, so then when I got back to Papua New Guinea, that's when I started to notice because life slowed down again. I was back in a, another country that works in Papua New Guinea time. Mm. And so, and I also had a lot of time on my hands. Um, so I started to do yoga and I, so I, I got on Amazon and purchased some yoga DVDs and um, there was this one particular DVD by a lady called Elena Brower and I just love that woman because if I started to feel anxious because it would start off as anxiety for me and then it would fall into bad self-talk and depression and I would start my yoga session and I did that literally three hours a day. Wow. <laughs> that became my medicine. Yeah. Um, I still hadn't worked out that I had postnatal depression at that point. Um, I just thought I was struggling with the stress of living in a foreign country that where I needed to carry a radio with me everywhere in case the rascals cornered me. <laughs> mm. um, anyway, so then when my daughter was 15 months old, we moved back to Australia and we thought, well, I started to feel a bit better and I thought, oh, it must have just been living in another country, compound fever, that's all it was. And so I'm better now. And so we had, and it was literally one month I felt good. And then we, 
I fell pregnant again and the anxiety hung around and I struggled to cope with focusing. So when my daughter wasn't in daycare, I was really worried about me not being able to care for her properly because I was not in a good state. Yeah. And so I think it really starts what ne- like now I can see that it starts for me when I'm pregnant. And um, then I had my second daughter and uh, within a couple of weeks I was quite depressed again and this time I didn't have all the time in the world to just do three hours of yoga a day. I lived in Australia, it's busier here. Um, so I went and saw a doctor and they prescribed um, uh lorazepam I believe it was so it's a anti-anxiety medication and I was really reluctant to go on the medication because I knew that there were big side effects um, for a lot of people and I didn't want those um so but I, I ended up going with it because my husband said to me you know I just need a wife that is present and here and I need your help because it was all mm. falling on him mm. And he and I look back on these four years of our life and we just say they were actually probably the worst years of our life. And I look back with grief now and I get upset because I think, wow, they were the years that I should have really enjoyed. But here I was struggling with this stuff that I felt like I had absolutely no control over. But I was, I was, it was like doing dog paddle in a pool, but you're tiring and you're just trying to keep your head afloat. And that's how I felt constantly. Um, Yeah, so I ended up going on the medication. (laughs) So the funny thing is the medication actually just numbed me. I felt the same, but it's like I was floating in a cloud and coasting along in life. Um, And things, I didn't react as quickly to things. So it was numbing, essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, my worst side effect was I absolutely had no libido whatsoever. And then, and that started to affect my marriage probably uh, about 12 months into, uh, 12 months after my second child was born. And I remember going back to the doctor and saying, I need you to change something for me I need my medication changed I I don't know what you can do but I need I need to get better I was I said in Mm. six months time I am not going to be married if something doesn't change now Mm. and he this was my my turning point because he turned around and said to me he shrugged his shoulders like real nonchalant and he said well do you feel better And I said, on the medication he meant, and I said, no, not really. And he said, okay, double the dose. (gasps) Double? Oh, my goodness. Exactly, and I just looked at him and went, excuse me? And he said, well, you might as well be happy. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, and that for me was Mm. like I just, my jaw dropped, you know, like, Mm. To backtrack, they actually tried me on another medication first and that one had me planning my suicide within three days. And luckily enough, I had enough sense um, to recognise, no, this is a big problem and I need help. I didn't want help. I was hiding it from my husband. I was hiding it from everyone. Um, But after three days, I thought enough is enough. I, I need to change this. So they changed me on to this lorazepam, which, you know, and they were talking about putting me in the um, mental health unit to, just to monitor me while they stabilised my medications. And that for me I did not want because I found I wanted to work at that hospital and I didn't want the stigma. Oh, yeah. That's, that's tricky. I felt yeah. may come with it, yeah. Mm. So... So that was, you know, right at the beginning and they've got me on this medication. But, yeah, that point where he said um, you might as as well be happy and I just thought what are we doing in 
healthcare, modern medicine these days. Like, and it really made me. I, I remember coming home. I was so angry, but and so fired up. I was tense and I was pacing the house and I just said to my husband, I don't care what this takes. I don't care how much money. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care if I have to go and look at that weird energy stuff that people do. I'm going to try it all until I'm better. And I need you to back me and say it's okay to spend that money, you know, <laughs> because we, we make joint business, um, joint money decisions. Yeah. And he just sort of looked at me like in shock and he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good. That's the answer that you want and okay. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, I, and we were openly talking about, like I said, I know that if this doesn't change, I know that we're not going to stay married. Mm. I know that. And I want to make sure that I've tried everything first. Mm. Um, and, and I took full responsibility for being – the reason that our marriage was um, failing, um, I realised now that he definitely played a part and he admits that too now. But at the time I was like, "This is, it's me. I'm the one that's dragging everyone down. So um, that started my journey of looking into everything. So nutrition was the first thing. I, I thought, what can I control? Yeah. I can control nutrition. I New, so when you come off um, antidepressants or um, mental health-related medications, you do it under the supervision of a doctor and slowly. You can't just stop it. So I slowly stopped my medication over a period of six to eight weeks. And whilst I was doing that, I was changing my nutrition. I was getting back into yoga because yoga for me is a form of meditation. Um, it's a movement meditation. And for me, I need to move. <laughs> like, sitting still and meditating has taken a very long time for me to learn that. And even then I still struggle. So um, I chose a movement meditation. Um, I went to an energy healer and I thought she was the weirdest thing I'd <sighs> ever seen. And but I felt nice afterwards and so I said to my husband, you know what, I, she didn't even touch me. She just like hovered her hands over me and made me shout things out and I remember sitting there going, oh, this is really weird <laughs> and I felt really uncomfortable but I was going to give everything a go and um, I felt great for at least two weeks after that and I thought, you know what, I don't care if it's a placebo. We've proven placebos work too so whatever. <laughs> I'm open-minded at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was how my um, how I started on my uh, I guess non-mainstream way of approaching my met my depression. Yeah, wow. And anxiety was just that doctor and I was angry at him at the time, but now I I thank him. I'm so thankful mm. that he did that because I am a person who works in that healthcare system and I have always, and I still do, subscribe to evidence-based practice. It's got to be evidence-based. It's got to be evidence-based. However, it has opened my mind up to pos the possibility of things that haven't yet been proven because when I go back to my biomedical science days, what I did as a scientist was I would look at a hypothesis and then I would either prove it right or wrong. Mm. But you've got to have a hunch that it's doing something before you even decide to test it. So sometimes I think we, when we rely on the science all too much, we lose faith in the possibilities that are actually right underneath us. Mm, I agree wholeheartedly. And doesn't it take about 15 years between one when one trial happens anyway and it actually yes. gets published and Absolutely. Like that's 15 years of, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I just feel like for me it's if, if um, you're willing to just open your mind up to the possibility and say, you know what, it's like me with that energy healer. It's like I don't know if it works. You know, I – it made me feel good. So for me, yes, that works. And if that's mm. a placebo, that's okay. Yeah. Um, 
do I need the hard evidence of the scientific proof? No, there is an ethical dilemma though because I can't promote it to people and it would be unethical if I did because as a, as a therapeutic modality that is because it's not scientifically proven to have an effect for everybody. Um, and that's why in medicine we get stuck because we go, well, no, it has to, we have to be able to say hand on our heart that this will work. And so that's why um, I believe complementary um, therapies um, are overlooked now in um, my, in, in healthcare. Mm. And it's because they're not meeting this scientific standard that has been set as a precedent that they have to meet. But yet so many people are experiencing such great results with it. Yeah. And I find it fascinating that it's called alternative or complementary when really like alternative or complementary medicine when really it's original medicine. Exactly. Yes. I used to use the word alternative and I realized after I really thought about it that that was like saying us and them. Yeah. And that, you know, well, we're the real healers. Those people over there, they're just a bit hippie and they don't really know what they're doing. It's not scientifically proven. So therefore it's not, it's not really, it's not the choice. It's, it's what you go for. Yeah. If you're a hippie. But so then I changed my, I've actually changed my vocabulary now to say complimentary because of course I'm a nurse. I subscribe to Western medicine still. I still, I absolutely see the value in it. Mm. But then I've, I've, there's this part of me which for some time was hard to put together. How do I marry these two together when they're at complete opposite ends to each other? And then I realised, well, no, they're not. They complement one another. One, one is holistic and makes the person, makes you look at the person as a whole being, mind, body, spirit. Yep. You know, the other one just focuses on the body. Mm-hmm. So we need to I, – I see them as a complement to one another and we need to move away from this idea of it's one or the other because it's not, it's both and that's what makes up the whole person. Mm, I agree with you wholeheartedly, a thousand percent, Brooke. I think it really is taking that step back, isn't it, and assessing the big picture of yes. what's going on with this person. Yes, as a whole and looking Absolutely. at all different avenues and not having, um, you know, like there is that, those, that time when, yes, that needs to be that a laser approach on, you know, what is specifically what's going on. But mm. at the same time, I think for, you know, a lot of us, we really do need to step back as, you know, as practitioners or, or anything, even just with our own health, you don't have to be a practitioner, just with your own health and well-being and start asking yourself some hard questions of, what am I doing that might, you know, be perhaps making this worse or, um, yes. you know, what can I do to sort of change it and, um, yeah, which is, and I love how you said that, you know, with that doctor that you now said that you're grateful because it is. It's so It is it's those um, moments in life, isn't it, that mm. can just literally are our turning point and just change us on that completely different path. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit interested, though, what specifically you changed around your diet to help with your postnatal depression, Brooke, because, like, did you have a really bad diet beforehand? Like, what did you actually do to change it? Well, so this whole um, mind-body-spirit thing, I think, takes – when you start to open your mind up to the whole person, mm. you need to – like, it, what it does for you personally is it makes you look at, well, when I do that, What's the consequence of that? So for me, no, I wouldn't say my diet was terrible um, beforehand. In fact, when we lived in Papua New Guinea, we made our own bread, we made our own pasta from scratch. We um, we never really ate um, processed food because, you know, and it was even before we went over because my husband and I both loved cooking. So our weekends would often be filled with us trying a new recipe and cooking this from scratch and making our own stir-fry sauces from scratch rather than getting a bottle. Um, 
So we 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 always shopped the outer aisles of the shopping center, um, but we were not as well. I wasn't, and my husband probably still isn't. <laughs> Dare I say it? Um, They're I, hard work, aren't they, husbands? Yeah. <laughs> See, it doesn't affect him as much. Diet doesn't mm. seem to affect him as much as it does me. So. Yeah. I'm more pedantic about it and um, but you know he I have to say he does cook now so I also have to be mindful about what I ask of him <laughs> so yeah but when it comes to like your packaged sauces and things we I didn't really worry like I'd just buy the tomato sauce and you know and now I, I'll admit I still do but there was a time where I would make my own Um so diet-wise, I wouldn't say it was really bad. It was quite a good balanced diet in the sense of the food pyramid. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Yep. <laughs> so it was um, – I look at that now and I think, okay, there was so much room for improvement there. But at the time I was patting myself on the back like I was eating very well. And um, – you know, don't get me wrong, for people who are not eating a great diet, going towards the food pyramid to a point is a step in a, in a better direction than where they are now. But um, it's because they're actually starting to be more conscious about what they eat. Mm. But when I um, left that doctor's office, I started looking at, um, different diets and there were claims being made by people they were anecdotal claims they you know I had depression I did this diet I feel great and so I thought okay well what's in that yeah <laughs> um, and so I ended up trying the paleo diet and I had sort of been trying it on and off while I was on the medication but obviously I wasn't sticking to it and you know, so it wasn't really – I wasn't noticing much of a difference. But then I ended up um, saying to my husband, right, I know this is a really big ask for you because you have to give up pasta oh, dear. <laughs> and bread. But could we – can we please just – I really need you to commit to this as well. Like this is just so I can get better and we yep. can, you know, have a better marriage again. And um, so we went paleo full cold turkey into paleo straight off. So for those of our listeners that don't know what paleo is, could you just fill us? Yeah. Yeah, fill that. So it's um, lots of fruit and veggies or mostly veggies, not so much a lot of fruit um, due to the sugar content in it. Mm -hmm. um, you avoid grains, so um, legumes as well, Um and a lot of people think the paleo diet is just lots of meat, but um, dare I say it, I went along to a Pete Evans class. Mm -hmm. um, he came to Townsville and I thought, I'm just going to go and listen because the problem we were having was that we didn't feel full long enough. We were both starving all the time. Um and when I went and sat in on his class, I thought, wow, now I get it because he said the meat content should be no bigger than the palm of your hand. Mm. And that's a, and I thought, wow, that's not what I thought. I thought paleo was meat, meat, meat. Mm -mm. And yeah. it's not. Um, and then he said, and if you're feeling hungry all the time, you need good fats. And we hadn't been thinking about that. Mm. So all we did then was add avocado to our breakfast um, and add nuts to the salad, um, just little changes like that, and then we were no longer hungry and snacking on food we shouldn't be eating um, or that's not paleo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we eliminated grains completely. We eliminated dairy um, and eliminated the legumes. Um, I think that's that in a nutshell. Oh, and sugar, so no sugar. So we substituted, I mean, honey is still a sugar, but I, I substituted um, honey for sugar um, in my coffee, for example, because I did not want to give up my coffee. 
No, if I remember correctly, I did give up my coffee at that point, but I haven't now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in a, to, to cut a long story short, I changed to that diet and within six weeks I was bouncing off walls to the point where I thought, oh, God, do I have um, – do I have bipolar disorder? Yeah. Am, I, am I manic? <laughs> I had all because this energy I'm, that you weren't used to having. Oh, mm. so much. Mm. And I would even – I was doing shift work at that time. So I was on shift in emergency and I remember just like bouncing down the hallway. Like I was just so happy and mm. I was on fire and I had so much energy and I hadn't even had a cup of coffee. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and then I think I hit the three o'clock slump, and I thought, "Oh, okay. Well, they say green it. tea's okay, so I'm just going to have some green tea." Mm. And I couldn't sleep the next day. Oh, because the green tea was just too much for me. Your body wasn't used. To, yeah, your body had sort of got yeah. yeah a bit of it. Yep. yep. The other thing I did was I introduced fermented veggies, and that's a key, I think, for me mm-hmm. is balancing that gut microbiome. Mm. Um, and you know, I think that now in my research that I believe that balancing the gut flora is the key. So, um, or it's one of the many keys, but it's, it's a big thing. You've got to get that balance right because I think for me, that's had the biggest impact on my mental health. Mm, Gut health, gut health 101. Well, that leads me to my next question, Brooke, because there was a really good article posted um, on the conversation a little while ago, uh, and I'll share it in the show show notes so everyone can refer to it themselves. And it talks about um, something called nutritional psychiatry as being a future therapy, a therapeutic treatment for mental health. And, And in this article, they talk, so they talk a lot about inflammation in the brain which is actually stemmed from inflammation in the gut, talking about that sort of two-way connection there, as a result of nutritional deficiencies um, and it's being the real driver or the root cause behind a lot of cases of uh, depression. So what are your thoughts on this? I completely agree because <laughs> mm. that's my experience. Mm. Um, I so well, part of my research was around, um, or it was like going down a rabbit hole, really. And one of the little burrows that I went down was um, gut health and what. So, okay, because so I read somewhere about gut health, and and I thought, well, what what do they mean by gut health? So I started researching it, and um, just uncovered all of this research around diet and mental health, how diet can affect um, how autism is um, um, expresses itself, you know, sometimes and how diet can affect or be a great treatment for epilepsy and, you know, and all these things and they're all brain it, like or I don't want to say issues or disorders or anything, but they're, they're, they're all come from the brain. And so I um, just dove very deep into that and that's when I just uncovered, it was, it was like nuggets of gold everywhere. And so for me, this is why I, I look at the food pyramid now and I think, oh, my goodness, it's missing like your probiotics and your fermented veggies and your natural ways of boosting the that healthy balance of gut flora <laughs> because – for me, I see the gut as an extension of the brain and I need to care for my brain and I need to care for my gut because my brain makes my body work. My gut feeds my body to make it work. They both have to work together for everything to work beautifully. Mm, so love that way that you've, yeah, stated that so well, yeah, articulated that very well, yep. Yeah, so I just – so. It doesn't surprise me that they're starting to talk about nutritional psychiatry and if anything, it makes me very happy because we're moving in that direction of building the bridge between alternative approaches Mm. and modern medicine and we need that bridge to be built quick um, because they can both work beautifully together. Um, 
So, yeah, I just – I would like to see this become mainstream that, okay, you are, you have depression and anxiety. Let's get you in and, and speak with a nutritionist. Nutritionist, yeah. yeah. And yeah. let's get you um, into this let's, – let's look at your mind, body and your spirit. Let's get you mm. meditating because we know that that helps. Let's get you on a better diet. Let's get you exercising and we're going to look after your mind as well with a counsellor or a psychologist mm. um, and try that before we start going on these medications that alter our brain state anyway. Mm. I love um, that, yeah. It's, it's just looking at it from all angles, isn't it? Yeah, holistic now having approach. said that, I'm saying these things not as a professional in that field, <laughs> but this is just I would like to see it all being brought together as one and, you know, we're not using one over the other but we're trying different things to see what works for that person because we already a lot of our mental health medications are trial and error. We're already doing the trial and error thing. So why not trial and error with some diet too? Yeah, exactly. It's about really, it's about kind of collaborating together, isn't it, as, as yes. practitioners. It's not about us and them, as you were kind of alluding to before. It's all yeah. about collaboration and, uh, you know, and coming in and assessing each person as an individual and what's going on as a whole in their life. Like what stresses yeah. have they got going on that could be contributing these stresses, emotional stress, physical stress. Uh, obviously there's that work stress, uh, you know, stress from, from what you're eating really like yeah. that's putting stress on your body as well I remember yeah. um gosh I remember reading a book I can't think of what the title is now but it was about a gentleman who was having he had some yeah some kind of things going on and um basically the conversation with this general practitioner was that they went because when he asked could it be my diet that's causing xyz and this um you know general practitioner just responded with not diet's got nothing to do with it <laughs> and then then proceeded to write out a prescription for a pill. <laughs> then, but then this is what I thought was the real clincher that made it, it kind of makes everyone think. And he and he he realized it himself. If he's saying that diet does not affect my health, and yet he's just prescribed me to eat a pill, mm. is that not the same thing? Yeah. So <laughs> We eat pills, we eat food, shouldn't we really be looking at the eat food bit first? <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I yep. just kind of found that quite interesting story and, and obviously it's, it's similar to kind of what you were, you sort of shared um, earlier on. But, mm. yeah, the whole um, brain-gut health, uh, brain-gut yeah, connection is huge and for any of our um, listeners out there, no doubt there's probably plenty of science-based listeners, shift workers out there, and some of you that don't, um, definitely, when you hear the words gut health, really prick your ears up about it and start doing your own research, start learning as much as and more about it as you can because it's it's not some new fad that's coming out by any stretch of the imagination. It's uh, very, um, uh, very credible. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And there's so much research. It it blows my mind because it's been going on for Yeah so many years decades yeah on the gut brain link but yeah. um it just hasn't become mainstream knowledge that's what blew my mind yeah. away i was like how have they been holding on to this all this time and not letting people know you know and there was one book actually i um that i read that was written by a medical doctor from germany i think she is um and she's actually a gastroenterologist but the interesting thing is this girl started off um, experimenting with herself because she had an illness. I can't even remember. I think it might have been a rash or um, maybe even fibromyalgia or something. But she um, she had an illness that she wanted to get better and the medications, all the things that she was being prescribed were not working. And so she just started her own little experiment on herself trying different things and um, she went along to all these um, science conferences where it was like yeah this is general knowledge that um, about the gut brain link but it just doesn't make headlines because it's not a not a fancy title or it's not 
not worth talking about. People aren't entertained by it. And um, so she um, – Are you talking about I think, Julia Enders? I think yes. that's her book. Sorry, I just yeah. had a train of thought. So yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great Julia, book. Yeah, I've, I've read that myself and I'm just oh. trying to find – yeah, just trying to remember what the name of it is as well. Yeah, Julia Enders, Gut, the inside story of our body's most underrated organ. That's it. So it's brilliant. Absolutely when, brilliant book, yeah. Absolutely. So when you words, listen to yeah. it, she explains the gut and how it works and how different supplements can help or and how they work and why they work. And um, and it, she just pairs it right back, like really technical stuff but in a way that anybody can understand it. Yeah, and she's done a like, great TED talk too as well. I'll put a link up for that one as well. Yeah. Mm. So um, yeah, so she's just um, that was a great book for me to start reading in that it was very science based. It was this is the research we've got, um, and do with it what you will. Yeah, it's up to you. But ultimately, you're not going to be prescribed these things because it's not general knowledge among the medical community, and. Yeah, it just it was a big eye opener mm. for me. Um, so that was a great book to start with, um, just to understand that gut brain link um, and the just how the gut works and how it feeds the body and how it is actually probably one of our most important systems in our body. Um, yeah, it's so connecting that, the that, outside with the in, isn't it? Like what we put in our yeah. mouth is yeah, and then goes into our bloodstream and yeah. Yep. She's got some pretty funky pictures from memory in that pitch in that book too. Quite, yeah, quite so cute. I'm an, an audio book. <laughs> oh, okay. You're not going to see, on yeah. Audio. Yeah, but um, so I didn't get to see the diagrams, but it was it was good to listen to. It wasn't really hard, heavy stuff, mm-hmm. and she's quite funny. Mm. You know, I think she overdosed on zinc or something mm. at one point, and um, yeah, she talks about that how it's funny and how it wasn't the nicest nicest experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's what happens when you experiment on yourself. <laughs> yeah, which is nothing wrong with that, you know. That's a, yeah. that's a good place to start is on yourself before, um, yeah, yeah. or talking, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. Well, look, this topic of gut health, I could, we could probably just have a separate podcast alone and I have spoken about it previously um, mm-hmm. with, another, with another guest on board, but um, I'm obviously mindful of the time. Uh, as I said, we could talk about this for ages, but I yeah. know that you're now feeling a thousand times better to a point where you've yeah. actually launched your own business last year um, called The Pediatric Nurse. I love the name of that. Um, and it's a training and education platform specifically for pediatric nurses. Could you please tell um, us a little more about that? It's pretty impressive, just quietly. <laughs> Um, so yes it is my little baby I've actually been working on it pardon the pun sorry pediatric yes baby sorry sorry I want to interject there sorry and the logo is a baby yes yes, yes. yeah um no I so I actually started it um three years ago it started out as a blog and it was um I I guess at the time I didn't know what it was going to be other than just a blog and a place for me to vent my frustration with how children are often not listened to in healthcare and when in their own healthcare. And um, so I, I just started writing some blog posts about how medical trauma can occur and how, you know, we need to be more mindful of it. And yeah, so I wrote a couple and then I think the fourth blog went viral and I didn't really even oh. know what to do with it. Um, and so I, I got scared and I just, left it and I was paralysed at the thought of doing anything. I couldn't even write another blog. And then last year I was um, working with a charity and um, uh, that works with kids and, and that and I thought, you know what, I really, I, I really want to make a difference in healthcare Um and at the same time, I had just received a diagnosis of a um, genetic disorder, um, which is very rare. Um, it's called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Um, and basically, it puts me at a very, on a very basic level, it puts me at a very high risk of um, developing COPD, so um, emphysema essentially, oh, wow. okay. in my 40s. Yeah. 
and I was told by the doctor they didn't really know what to do about it. I don't have symptoms or anything, but they just said, oh, just don't put your lungs at um, under pressure so don't get sick. And I just went, well, that's great. I'm a paediatric emergency nurse. Like sickness is in my mm. resume so or the job description. So I thought at that point, oh, my career's over and I really want to make a difference in um, paediatric healthcare. What am I going to do? And then at the same time, I'm, you know, helping out this charity and realising that if we keep relying on grant money, the money's going to run out one day or they could just take it away from us whenever they want and then we are left with nothing, not a program. And so that didn't work for me either. So I was sitting on this for a, about a month or two and then I went I went along to this wonderful uh, conference by Hancock Creative um, called Change the World and I got chatting with Alicia Hancock, the owner of Hancock Creative. She was running a social media course and I thought, right, well, that's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to become a social media manager full-time. It's going to have to be my new career. Um, but I got chatting with her and she set her business up as profit for purpose. And I was like, oh, now you've picked my interest. Mm. Tell me more about this. Mm. <laughs> um, and so she told me about how profit for purpose is essentially you're a business and you can earn a wage that, you know, just like any business person would set their wage and say this is what they're earning. And then you've got profits on top of that and those profits get redirected into purpose programs. And she goes, you can run your own or you can support another, but essentially any profits the business makes go straight into programs. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you've just given That's me it. my answer. That's mm. what I'm going to do. And I said to her, can I get on your social media training program because she has grants for them <laughs> and can I do it with the paediatric nurse? Um, I'm not profitable yet and I don't have programs but I'm going to be profit for purpose and I don't even know how I'm going to make money yet. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, look, apply, but that sounds great. Um, I knew what programs I wanted to run. I wanted to run programs that set like that. Kids can go along, they're play-based, but it's all on medical plays. So they learn and they familiarise themselves with hospital equipment before they go to hospital for planned procedures. So then they're familiar with their environment, they're, the stress that they feel is a lot less um, and they know what's going to happen to their body. And then I also wanted to support nurses with scholarships to a postgraduate certificate in play therapy um, so that then we've got nurses embedded in every unit in Australia that can use play skills to communicate with children, which is their first language is play. So then they can communicate with them, they can speak to them, they understand development um, and communication in children like um, no other. Um, and then um, I want a third program that subsidises play therapy um, counseling for children that have experienced medical trauma. So I'm not there yet, but that's my plan. That's my big vision. So I had that and I thought, okay, now I've got to get the money together to pay for this social media training. But I really wanted to do the training so that I could have a really good social media presence and people could learn about what I'm doing. And so I thought that's my marketing course, really. So I thought, well, I've got the Zoom webinar platform already. I, I have it, but I'm not using it. I My husband's a web developer. Um, oh, that's and, handy. Yeah, <laughs> it's very handy. <laughs> and then I've got um, my social media course. So what can I do? And I realised for me the most frustrating thing as a nurse, a paediatric nurse that lives in a rural area is getting – relevant and affordable CPD yeah, that's right. relevant yep. practice and so I thought you know what every year I complain about this because my holidays get taken up with traveling to a major city there's limited courses they cost a lot of money to attend um, and so I 
could just run webinars for nurses that get them their CPD and they can do it from anywhere in the country. So now I'm providing education for nurses that improves pediatric healthcare already. So there's my overarching why. Mm. (laughs) I'm tackling that and they are getting it at a cheaper rate than what they normally spend on pediatric education, nursing education. So it's better for them. They're paying for it, which then eventually it becomes profitable. Then I've got my profits to pay for these and set up these um, profit per, uh, purpose programs. And so six weeks later, the pediatric nurse CPD platform was launched. Yeah, and wow. Was, yeah, and I got the grant and I've been getting the social media training and business mentoring from Hancock Creative. So it's, it was like the it was like the universe just aligned everything and we just went, okay, here you go. You want that? Here's this support and <laughs> here's this and we'll give you this too. And, and by the way, we've got this person that's willing to speak and, you know, some really amazing people like you <laughs> have come along and supported this business before it's even proven itself. And so I've been really so grateful because and it's been fun so I've managed to um you know think go from thinking my career's over to just going no it actually just got better yeah (laughs) and it's better than you could ever have imagined so and the impact that the pediatric nurse as a business can make is so much bigger than I could ever have imagined as a nurse in a ward Mm. in one little hospital so yeah being able to yeah it's just giving me goosebumps again gosh I keep when I'm talking to you you keep giving me goosebumps there's another one there's another lot um (laughs) yeah I just I just yeah I love the whole concept that you've really obviously seen a uh, a huge gap in the market of um the fact that there's you know these pediatric nurses are not uh being able to get the access to and, and and to the right sort of training as well um that they desperately need that's going to benefit not only the nurses but the obviously the care of the children that they're being looked after and their parents yeah. and and so forth and it's just yeah it's uh, it, it's just such a brilliant concept and i'm just really um yeah i'm so um impressed with what you're doing and I guess as a as a fellow health practitioner that just wants to help people but but do yeah. it in a do it in more of a global st- st- um way I suppose to kind of help more people it's, it's what I struggled with as a clinician mm. doing the one-on-one thing as much as I like it and enjoy it I, I like you I really want to make a bigger difference and have an impact on more people uh, and obviously yeah. the way that you're doing the way that you've set up the pediatric nurses um with its um uh, online training platform that they can yeah get these uh, points for um, is is a brilliant brilliant concept yeah yeah well what you know what I love the most about it is that it's brought pe- pediatric nurses from all over together in one big community hmm. and we're learning together so we've broken down that stigma of having to know everything to we are all in this together and we are all making a difference and we nice. we are part of the solution. And that's what I love about it. I love that, you know, it would the paediatric nurse wouldn't exist if it didn't have all of those nurses that wanted to make a difference. Mm, very so, true. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. Very true. Well, I know that there's plenty of paediatric nurses out there that probably want to give you a bit of a cyber hug <laughs> for thanking you to, <laughs> for setting this up. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to hug them back for, for supporting it. <laughs> Every time someone joins, I literally do a happy dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. I get what you're so talking excited. About. I'm on a high for mm. hours, even days afterwards. I'm like, oh, somebody signed up. <laughs> uh, I yeah. love it. I love it. I love it. Awesome. All right. Well, we better look at thinking about wrapping up. Um, I know I probably said that about half an hour ago, but what the heck? Let's just. <laughs> there are three um, other questions. Um, or sorry, I guess that I would love for you to kind of. Um, um, give some insight for our listeners before we're wrapping up. And that is for any of our listeners out there that, who may be suffering from postnatal depression or some element of or perhaps know of somebody that is, what three bits of advice would you like to give them just to help them at that current spot that they're in to yeah. set them off into the right direction? Yeah. Um, so 
the three things that I felt made the biggest difference for me and they were all things I had control over mm. were well, that's, that's empowering as it is sorry yeah 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 so that. it's just yep. the, the thing just make changes to the things you can and if it's just one thing at a time and it doesn't have to be a new thing every day it's like one thing a month until it becomes a habit so eat better is the first one eat better make better eating choices as parents of young children we don't generally make great choices around food because we go for the quick and easy um so find ways to make eating healthier or better eating choices easier for yourself Mm. um and that's something i'm still i still work on it's a work in progress for me like it's I don't ever think I've arrived at the solution. Um, it's, but just find ways to, so that help support you to eat better. So that's the first one. Um, the second one, again, it's not something I'm really good at, but go to bed at a good hour. Because the first thing I ever always wanted to do when my kids went to bed was just sit on Facebook and just tune out and have me time but it wasn't actually quality me time and it wasn't really looking after myself getting a good sleep was looking after myself um love that Mm. and then the third one is do something that cares for you in your in your mental space so um i i practiced uh vinyasa yoga and that for me was a meditative practice but it was also nourishing my physical body through exercise if going for a run if getting up at 5 a.m and going for a run before the kids are awake with your headphones on listening to an audiobook or some music helps you to get your exercise but also have that mental space for you then do that but you need something that's going to give you your chance to have time for yourself um so yeah eat better go to bed at a good hour and do something for you every day Mm, love that or at least in regards to going to bed at a good hour giving yourself that because as shift workers we know that that good hour is not necessarily a good hour (laughs) that's true but but giving your body the chance to um give that opportunity to be able to get more sleep so yeah if you've got you know a 4 a.m start the next day then obviously it does mean going to bed earlier Uh, and as you said not um aimlessly scrolling on social media which we're all guilty of doing because it's quite addictive Um, but, Mm. but you know beginning to have that um, awareness about your behaviours and, and so forth is a, is a great step. So, yeah. yeah. See, awesome. even after night shifts, I used to postpone going to bed um, um, just because I, I just wanted to do something, just yeah. wanted to do something for me. And, you know, the truth is I should have just gone, had a good, healthy meal and then gone to bed. Sleep, yeah. Yep. So, and so, yeah, so the, the good hour can even mean – when you're on night shift, just go to bed. Yeah, absolutely. When it's time to go to bed. Night shift is a perfect example, definitely. <laughs> Don't be tempted yep. to go bypass the gym and, and do that kind of crazy stuff after night shift. You're exhausted, no. you're tired, your body needs sleep. That's what you should be That's doing right. first. So, yeah. Awesome, mm. awesome. Well, look, this has been Brilliant, Brooke. I've absolutely loved um, talking to you today. And uh, as I said, it's probably one probably going to be my longest podcast episode to date. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I've got a couple of hour long ones as well. But it's just been, I, as I said, I could have kept talking to you for ages. And I and I know that so many of our listeners that have um, that can relate to a lot of this stuff is are going to gain so much value out there. And as I alluded to right at the beginning of the of the podcast, we're not talking about depression anxiety in any way shape or form enough it's being um you know it's crazy that it's still got this a stigma attached to it uh so i really appreciate you coming on and talking to us sharing your story as well because i know that that can be pretty confronting uh kind of thing to do um but yeah so thank you so much for doing this and and also um uh, sharing a little bit about the pediatric nurse so if there's anybody listening that wants to kind of learn more about these cpd courses how can they get in touch with you so they can head over to www.thepediatricnurse.com and it's pediatric with P-A-E, so we spell it the Australian UK way. Um, 
and they can head over there and have a look. There's a, a list of webinars that they can look at as individual webinars or they can get a membership um, or they can email me at brooke with an E at thepediatricnurse.com. So that's how they can get in touch. Oh, Facebook. No, they have to go across and see the community. It's amazing. So it's the pediatric nurse. Um, if you just type that in um, on Facebook, then you'll find me. Awesome. Great. Mm. I'd say 99.999% of the listeners <laughs> would be on Facebook. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good place to start. So yeah, yeah. well, I'll definitely make sure that they're um, included in the show notes. But again, thank you so much for doing it, joining me today, um, Brooke, and, and being so courageous in sharing your story um, with us, all of us today. No worries. I really enjoyed being here. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, that's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. It also helps if you can leave us a five-star rating, preferably five-star. If you really like this episode, which I'm sure that you are, <laughs> that you should, you, that you did, um, as this by doing this will actually help my podcast uh, go up higher in the ranks. So it's going to help uh, to gain a bigger reach, which will obviously enable me to help more people. So thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be, despite working 24-7. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any podcast you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called the Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect you to like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.